Welcome to the Backrooms Podcast. Have you ever watched a TV show or a movie? Perhaps you were even playing a game, and you felt a strong connection to one or more of the characters on screen? Have you ever wondered why you felt that way? In today's episode, the boys discuss some of the things that we think make for compelling characters. Sit back, relax, and join us as we make our way into the next room. And please, enjoy the show. The only difference between a lemon and a lime is a couple RGB values. <laughs> Welcome to the Backrooms podcast. <laughs> See, that's like, no, the only difference is a couple, is like fucking three letters on the hex code. <laughs> oh, hi. Hey. Hey, everybody. Um, today we wanted to try something uh, a little bit different. Yeah, uh, we're going to switch gonna, things up a little bit. I was going to kill Justin. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, that's not new. That's been, like, culminating. Ah! <laughs> um, no, so, th- our podcast, this is very much a passion project for us. And as that stands, um, we don't want to just exclusively box ourselves into talking about exclusively games. Um, exclusively box ourselves in exclusively. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I had something to say and you screwed it up, so... Um, but we do want to be able to talk about other things that we're passionate about as well, which is TV and movies and all that kind of stuff, which we did initially set out to do in our first episode as well. Um, so but then to, we just talked about Halo. And then we just talked about Halo for eight episodes straight. <laughs> Part of the contract. <laughs> um, so today we are going to be talking about um, compelling characters, both in and outside of video gaming. Um, so... Um, what to you guys makes a character compelling? What does that mean to you? Because it well, means it can mean something different to everybody. No, definitely. What what typically what it means to me <clears throat> is evoking interest, attention, or admiration in a powerfully irresistible way. I didn't know we asked for the assistant. <laughs> <laughs> can you say that again? That like, <laughs> can you say it in like a Evo- Germanic uh, accent? <laughs> what is that? Say it like uh, say it like tear. I can't. I can't. I just can't. I, I can't do that. I'm sorry. Um, Say it in English. How about just... This is the definition from Bing. <laughs> Wait, why are you on Bing? Fuck vote? Bing. Okay, fine. We'll go to Merriam-Webster. The, so what a compelling... What compelling means, really. Honestly, what it means is... um, um. You know, well, something that compels. <laughs> <laughs> to be compelling. Um, forceful, demanding attention, convincing. So, you know, those types of words. So when you say... A compelling character. When you say a convince, so let's say convincing. Convincing. Genuine, maybe. So, is in the case of any form of media... Having a convincing character, what does that actually like mean? So to me, it means um, a, a character whose journey is believable. And I think the strongest um, aspect of that is the inclusion of a character arc. 
to have an established character that starts in one place and over the course of <coughs> a movie, two, three movies, um, goes through a journey and is changed from his original incarnation to where he ends up or wherever he's left off in the most recent, um, the, the, the most up-to-date uh, portrayal of the character, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's essentially going to be some type of progression or emotional maturity or change within a character, usually. If you don't have that, that's when you get things like just one-dimensional characters that are have a static, very shallow personality. I think depth of personality and depth of emotion within a character is, is, is a key part of that, as well as development over time and throughout the story. You know, so multifaceted. So, you know. if, that, if that's the case, give me an example of a character that's not compelling. I Superman. Mean, <laughs> well, that's <laughs> arguable. But, I mean, you can argue that if you want. A lot of side characters within shows and things that simply appear. Um, oh, you know what? Here. A lot of... Uh, just an example that came to mind, a lot of the characters within, like, Family Guy are not compelling characters. They're one-dimensional people that state one-liners and don't really grow over time in any capacity. They're, they could be funny or whatever, but they're not compelling characters really in any capacity that I can think of. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I think that's actually a good example. Um, characters, uh, particularly characters um, that don't really fall into, like, the long-form television kind of role you know shows like um sitcoms yeah sitcoms so the the ones not particularly so don't think of ones like friends or or office or parks and rec or any of those kinds of ones but the ones more like the simpsons or family guy or um you know any of those one shows where everything is kind of like quote-unquote reset at the end of the episode you know, where the characters start in one place, <clears throat> they go about with their quirky personalities, and the episode ends and everything is kind of like reset at the start of the next episode. Like, it never really happened. A lot of, um, like, 90s shows, I would say, like, 90s sitcom-style shows, like, um, I don't know, Family Matters or Full House. Like, the people don't particularly change a huge amount over the course of the show, that, that they are who they are. Right. Maybe that can be argued, but, like, it's... Oh, here's another episode of their daily life of whatever happened. You know? <laughs> um, I, I think I, I think animation falls more prey to to that issue than than um, live sitcoms because you know shows like Friends or The Cosby Show or Family Matters. Yes, there are like those episodic kind of storylines, but the relationships between characters do kind of grow and evolve as the shows progress and new characters are introduced and you know, new relationships form. Um, so there is like an element of believability in watching those characters go from, you know, season one to season eight. You know what I mean? It's not quite like, well, Timmy Turner in season one looks and sounds exactly the same as he does in season 15. And nothing's really changed aside from the addition of maybe one or two characters. SpongeBob, I think, is a character that I don't, I wouldn't say is compelling he's very recognizable he's unique he can be funny but you compare 
like some of the latest content of SpongeBob now versus like the older content. It's not like he's changed as a person. If anything, he's gotten worse, but that's more <laughs> the fault of the showrunners than anything else. So if I'm understanding correctly, then when we're talking about compiling characters, we're thinking of within a narrative. Yeah, right. I think for right. what for our purpose, it's w- within some kind of narrative. They have depth of depth, uh, emotional complexity, uh, development so of some kind. So if that's kind. the case, then I want you to think of a, you know what? Relatable too, I would say. Think yeah. of a character in a narrative, a narrative that you love, movie, TV show, game, board game. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And think of a character that was not compelling. In something that I love. Yeah. I got one. Okay. Yeah. It's a Marvel movie. Okay. But it was before the sort of um, standard archetype of a Marvel movie. <clears throat> I think the I know pre- where you're going. Pre-MCU kind of. It was, it, it, it was with it. It was the second one. Second in this, in like this saga of New Age Marvel. Going. 2008 Incredible Hulk. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> that for me is a very guilty pleasure movie. I don't know why. Maybe I just enjoy. I enjoy the Hulk just as a concept, and I also enjoy just seeing shit get smashed and him get angry, and then it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's very primal satisfaction for me. Yeah, and and I would say that that movie is probably one of the weakest Marvel movies uh, out of all of them. The characters are not particularly compelling. The the love interest is not <laughs> interesting, really. And Edward Norton as as Bruce Banner. Edward Norton is a great actor. That was not a great role. I don't think he was particularly interesting. He didn't show like a ton of I don't know range with him. He the didn't way emote that, a yeah, lot. Yeah, it was just super <clears throat> reserved. It never felt like it was anything developed within his character. He was just seemed a bit shallow. Everything happened. Everything that was significant to, I guess, his um, emotional depth happened before, like technically before the movie. Like he was already the Hulk. He was just running away from it. He was right. in the middle of running away from it. And you, you never Which really is see really a large odd change. choice for for an introductory yeah, solo outing. Exactly. And and there hasn't been any Hulk since. Yeah, and no. I love that movie, and I love what they've done with Hulk now. With um, I can't remember the Mark guy's Ruffalo. name, Mark, Mark Ruffalo, Ruffalo, yeah, and sort of how he's developed throughout other movies as a companion character, and I think he's a much a more compelling character as a whole. Him, him and his alter ego Hulk, but that's a movie I love that I don't think is very compelling in a narrative sense. It's just a guilty pleasure yeah. for me. It, it's it's really. Um, that's a great example of how um, it's not always just about the writing around the character. It's also the the delivery behind it. It's it's the actor portraying the the character. If it, it, it goes both ways, a good actor cannot turn water into wine. If they're handed a bad script, there's only mm-hmm. so much they can do with it. Mm-hmm. And a good script given to a bad actor can have unintentionally comical results sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you have an example. No, I I was actually gonna I was gonna flip it and I was gonna go the opposite way, um, because I I have been dying to talk about the MCU for the longest time already. I <laughs> I love the MCU and I know a lot of people dog on it. Um, there are a lot of people that seriously have like these these big big issues with the MCU and they're so tired of the the interconnectedness of anything of everything. 
Um, I, but, think, I think it should have been done at... Uh, spoilers for any... any. Uh, by the way, uh, I think it should have been done after Tony Stark's death. I think an Endgame, Endgame was should have been the end. Um, like anything after Endgame, just to me, does not exist. That's fair. Other, I, that's other totally than, fair. Other than Spider-Man, that's totally fair. Um, There's but, not as an engaging, overarching kind of thing. But please continue. I what you're saying. I find that that interconnectedness <clears throat> is like an incredible strength that the MCU has over previous um, superhero style stories. Um, because it gives characters and events more lasting weight and more time to develop themselves throughout a longer narrative. So two characters I'm going to use for this discussion. Two of them that I want to focus on is Captain America. Captain Man and Iron America. <laughs> Captain America played by uh, Chris Evans and Iron Man uh, portrayed by the legendary... Robert Downey Jr., who will forever in my mind be Iron Man. I don't think there will ever be another Iron Man no. ever in the history of well, ever. He like spoilers. If you skip the last like thirty <laughs> seconds and skip start to here, he died. <laughs> Continue. Well, well, so go ahead. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go off on a tangent. You continue. Okay. Um. So the biggest strengths with these two characters is they start the MCU and they close it off um, where you would consider the ending point for the MCU, right? The, right? the end of that that narrative. They were the start. They were right there at the beginning, but they start in two opposite places and they end in two opposite places. You have Captain America, who is a very patriotic by the numbers, wants to do right by his country and serve his government and and not question authority, right? He just wants to do the job and get it done in the best way possible that does not question um, his his commanding officers. He's, he's a lawful good he, yeah. character. He's goody two-shoes given steroids. Right, exactly. <laughs> basic. Which is the whole premise of his character. He's a I good to, man. I used to dislike him. I loved him. For, for what I he originally was. I did not really enjoy him. Tony Stark is the complete opposite end of the spectrum. He is a weapons manufacturer. He's an arms dealer. Party man. Party man, loose cannon, doesn't care much for authority. And throughout... All of these different, between the solo outings and the the crossover events, you know, the, the Avengers movies, the events that happen to them in all of these different movies shift their perspectives on the world around them and their, um, their outlook on life itself. And by the end of the movie, particularly culminating in, in, in um, uh, Civil War, I should say, um, they're at a crossroads now where Tony Stark is the one that's saying... We need to be held more accountable for our actions. We need to sign the the Sokovia Accords because right. we need to be put in check. You know, we're out here making our own decisions and people are getting hurt as a result. Hmm. And Captain America is now on the opposite end saying, well, if we sign away, if Fuck we just do whatever the government tells us to do, what if they tell us to do something that we don't want to do? Right? So you have these two characters that are being altered by the events. They're, they're both going through these same events, but they're both responding to them in such different ways and to me that is so compelling and believable to see these two characters go through these intense journeys over the course of you know Part they're not in every I, single movie i never actually 
usually I pick up on details like that, and I, I did not pick that up. I spend a lot of time actually watching um, like MCU analysis videos, um, and I, I, I like spend a lot of time just absorbing and digesting like other people's takes on the MCU, and and you you start to realize like those kinds of things no. that you don't notice. You know, movie to movie because it's like, okay, well, here's what's going on in this movie. At the end... Here's what's going on in this one. You gave me another good example related to that. Mm-hmm. Just Thor in, within the Marvel Universe. But, but let's let Jack... But yes, please, yeah. please go. Right. I mean... <clears throat> the Tony Stark we meet in, a, in uh, Iron Man 1 would not have done what he did in Endgame. No, he wouldn't have. It would not have done that. And that's what makes it so impactful no. when he does. Hell, even I think the inner every interaction he has with um Spider-Man, uh Tom Holland's uh what's what's Spider-Man's actual name? Fuck. Peter Parker. Peter Parker. Oh my god. Um I think portrays that much more apparently in a sense, there's a line in the second Spider-Man, um, Far From Home, Far from home mm-hmm. where he says, if you actually cared, you'd be in that suit. And he's, Oh, that's that's Homecoming. But Homecoming. Yeah, yeah, homecoming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he, he's there. He steps out because mm-hmm. you don't expect that. He, he, he's, he's different these days. Mm-hmm. You know, Tony Stark is different. He's grown up a little bit. He's still kind of a party man. He's still and he still tries to hold on to his past a little bit. He's always making jokes. He's always but as the movies get closer and closer and further along in this overall was it phase 1? Uh three phases of the I don't know. I forget That movie is in phase 3. Oh, Already, so yeah. phase 3 like Endgame is the end of phase 3. Uh, Far From Home is actually the end of Phase 3, but it's getting, like, messy now. So well, that's I, I don't think of everything in phases anymore. Okay. I just think of it all, like, chronologically when it happens. So at the end at the end of Endgame... Ugh, I lost my train of thought now. But pretty much... You see it more apparent. It, his his transition accelerates, I should say. You see it when he, he sees his father as he goes back in time. You know? You see it as he meets and recruits Peter Parker. Um, and like you said, Civil War. Mm-hmm. Another good one. With, with Related to Tony Stark is after the events of um, the first Avengers movie with just, you know, a, f- a fucking alien invasion <laughs> on New York City. Mm-hmm. And then you watch Iron Man 3. Like, that directly impacted his mental state right, his, in his, Iron his Man 3. His anxiety issues. Yeah, in, he in was Iron having 3, panic attacks which because Which also lead into Avengers Age of Ultron where he creates... You know, the suit of armor around yes. the world. And it's like, like an indirect whole... impact because of that. Yeah. I yeah, love yeah. the interconnectedness of everything. Really, I, people complain about it, but it works so well because it, just the way they handle it. It's not like shoehorned in like, oh, remember this? Like, actions have actual consequences that are felt later on throughout <clears throat> the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter Parker, I, I will say... No Way Home was a phenomenal movie. I'm not going to talk about it uh, in detail because you two have not seen it yet. Mm. And I don't want to spoil it because the movie is still relatively new. But I will say, um, going into the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies, I very much enjoyed them. But I know that a lot of like hardcore Spider-Man fans um, had serious issues with the MCU portrayal of Spider-Man. And what, and what was their reasoning? Well, I never understood it. Until No Way Home. Um, and, and I think the issue is that the 
the MCU did wanted to do their own take on Spider-Man. It it, it was there. It's not a traditional Spider-Man origin story by any sense of the word. And when you finally do watch um, No Way Home, you'll start to look at the really all five movies that Spider-Man has been in now. You know, Civil War. Um, Avengers. Uh, yeah, Civil War, Avengers, um, Homecoming, Far From Home, No Way Home, all of them. It, it, it is one large origin story. And okay. when the trilogy is finally complete, you can take a look back and actually see the, 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 the progression of the character and where he ends up at the end of that movie. Okay. Um, and it's very exciting because it, it, it's... it's um, it sets the character up in a way... I'm trying to figure out how to say this without spoiling Don't spoil anything. I'm not spoiling anything. But it sets the character up in a way that they can tell more traditional Spider-Man stories. Oh, is See, this because of the... Sh- the so this... this, this is we can talk be- about stuff that happens in the trailer. Is it but- because of like the multiverse... Yeah, in a way. Okay. In a way, but see, that, not all. Now, also, not really. See, multiverse is usually is, is where the MCU loses me because I think that opens the doors to make... This is a different discussion for a different day, mm-hmm. but that's why I kind of just dropped MCU after um, the last... Uh, the uh, end, end game. Mm-hmm. Um, With all the timelines. Yeah, because then at that point, there's no stakes in my eyes. No, no, they're absolutely cuz like, like I the said, way they explain for it, a different day. Yeah, it, I will but, say the way they explain it with within the movie that there very much is. It's one of those things where you you can't like you can't sit there and pick it apart. You can't apply logic to it all because at the end of the day it is a comic book movie right, and you have to apply comic book logic <laughs> to it. it you, if you want to like sit down and pick apart No Way Home from like a scientific perspective. No, I have like no. It has nothing that. to do with science. It has to makes no it, from a narrative perspective. From a narrative sense. perspective, I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah, you get where I'm saying. It, yeah. Um. <clears throat> one, what was it? Um. If that was what you had to say about Tony Stark, I would like to actually say a little bit about Thor. Yeah. If we're talking about Marvel, yeah, 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 yeah. Go ahead. And I and you had it came to my mind as you were talking about this that and I. Jack, you're—I'm pretty sure you were a big fan of Thor. Like Absolutely. you just enjoyed him as a person. Thor, Thor one and two were my favorite. See, and those are one of the least liked Marvel movies. <laughs> and it's be- and, one and two, yeah, yeah. It's because he feels a lot more one-dimensional in those earlier movies. He didn't feel as fleshed out of his own character. He was just this. I don't buff god the buff demigod you know that's just he and he had mannerisms of like old medieval times and he didn't have like a unique he's very shakespearean yeah yeah he didn't have a unique sense of identity i think i think to me that was his identity he came to earth and in marvel one he's learning all of our mannerisms he's learning our social cues or at least in the mm-hmm. the US cuz that's where it took place he took he was learning the united states you know so uh, like social norms and so that was his identity his identity was he was not trying to be disrespectful when he threw the cup on the ground right. to break it he just didn't know you know i guess to me at least it felt like it wasn't his own it felt generic i guess generic is generic maybe the word i'm thinking of it's another one of those instances of having to step back look at the mcu as a whole look at where he is in thor and look at where he ends up at the end of ragnarok 
right? And especially in the difference the... in his character is massive. And whether or not it was intentional or not, you Endgame know, you can, especially. you know, you could say, oh, they didn't intend to do that. Maybe they just wrote him differently because it mm. wasn't working well. But you know, you could pull some strings and say, well, he's learning the mannerisms. He's been on Earth or interacting with, you know, Earthlings yeah. for X amount of years. He's becoming more. Um, ingrained in, in into you know our society, and we live in a society, and we do live in a we society. In a society. <laughs> I just I felt as if um, after I think Ragnarok, I did like Ragnarok. Don't get me wrong. I just felt as if they took it too far with t- they took it too far away from what one and two were. I felt as if one and two had a very great blend of the the actual narrative and like stupidity and comedy kind of like on the same level of like Guardians of the Galaxy but then I I feel as if 3 took it too far if you want to talk about characters who are non-compelling while we're on the topic of Thor um, the villain from Thor the Dark World the second Thor movie I don't, I don't even remember I don't even remember was... his name because he's just I don't even remember the villain <laughs> his motivation is like I don't know he just wants he's he's your generic like I want to make the world dark I want to be evil <laughs> like there's no if you contrast so, him to a villain like Thanos Thanos is compelling because you understand his motivations you almost whether they're justified or not right, within his the own ends may not justify the means or or the the means may not justify the ends but um you understand his motivations and in a in a in a weird kind of way you're almost like he's not wrong oh he's his, very wrong his, no 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 he's not wrong his methods are wrong but he is right at the end of the day the universe has a finite amount of resources if left unchecked what will happen to his homeworld will happen on every planet well but that's kind of yes and kind of well, there no. are other salute there are well, there not, are other solutions yeah, but that, yes. that's not really a problem though that's not a, so th- this is where you get into more technical so are you saying you you don't like thanos as as a villain no i think he is as a villain i still think he's completely wrong not not even his justification the whole idea of resources um but like i said this is getting more technical rather than philosophical but um that's okay when you look at an uh in the universe that we live in mm-hmm. right um, yes, there's a finite amount of resources. Hell, you can even look at Earth, there's a finite amount of resources. Right. The tendency for just in general how our, our universe works, equilibrium always comes. Whether it's... But that could be to the detriment of a living civilization. Absolutely. And you can see that in the wild. On Earth, you can model it. The population of bunnies versus wolves in an agent-based model. As as long as parameters are realistic, you always end up at an equilibrium. Even when there's, when there's an overpopulation, let's say, mm-hmm. or an overuse of sources, it'll come back down. But that's not always the case. Yes, it is. In the universe, it is. Yes. No, it's not. You can on a have... macro on a macro scale, it is always the case. In first world countries in the uh, on Earth, populations decrease because of a nature and b population. We haven't. Yes, we have. The United States has been decreasing population. The entire world. I'm talking about. 
has right, been but, continuously, exponentially increasing. Right, but that's because we also have a lot of first and second world countries. Once every country on Earth becomes a first world country, we will see the Earth's population start to decline. Yeah, but by the time that happens, that might not. That, that might. We've be too also. Late. It's not going to be too late. It's also to the detriment of many other species that we've thousands and thousands and thousands of species that we've uh, decided uh, you're going extinct now because of our actions and our indifference towards you, and that doesn't get remedied. They die off. They're gone forever. Right, but that doesn't. There are much. There's a lot of damage to the earth that is difficult, if not possible, to undo. But in a macro, on a macro scale, that doesn't matter. Because it, if we were to continue, like if you went to like the industrial age and like industrial revolution, like 1900s, and you just continued that for like a couple hundred years, you'd probably do irreversible damage to the entirety of the world's right. ecosystem and I'm environment not, that so, will not equalize itself or e- become back to equilibrium. It will eventually. Eventually is a key word, though. But what is the equilibrium is also another question. Well, you could say that it may take longer than our sun has to live. Mm, right. Then it won't. But it doesn't matter at the but end. But I'm saying that there's more than just it will eventually because things can happen before eventually happens. Regardless, regardless, pull it back. <laughs> um, it, it, it doesn't, it, it, you don't have to look at it through a macro lens. But that's what I'm saying. To, like, that's why I didn't want to, like, no, I was No, 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 that's fine. Um, but his motivation is more... You have to realize, in his head, he's thinking he's doing the right thing. He's thinking he's the good guy. And that's what makes him compelling. Not that he is the good guy, not that he's doing the right thing, because he's clearly doing the wrong thing. But the fact that he, in his own mind, thinks that what he's doing is genuinely going to help people is what makes him compelling. Is what makes you care about his motivations. Is what makes us care for him as a villain. See that? I would I would say that's a very poor example of that personally. I think a better example would actually be Last of Us Two. Okay. I know have you, you neither of you have played that, right? No. no but, but I wanna right. just say before you get on that with Thanos is that um he has a level of uh, conviction for what he believes that it, that is equal to the level of conviction that a lot of superheroes will have for their what they believe to be, you know, morally correct or the right thing to do. Which, you know, in a lot of villains or, or antagonists, that it's often that they are cowardly in, in some capacity or, or um, you know, will flee from what from from their evil deeds that they're trying to do when it's not working out. But like in the same way that someone like Captain America or Tony Stark will sacrifice themselves, Thanos has exactly that same level of vindication for what he believes in. He will sacrifice himself for what he thinks mm-hmm. is the right thing to do. Or take um, Joaquin Phoenix uh, as Joker, mm-hmm. right? The whole movie is building up towards an explosive climax. The whole movie you are seeing this character being beaten down by everybody around him and just getting constantly kicked in the back while he's just trying to claw his way back up to keep his head above water, right? And at the end of the movie, it culminates in him shooting somebody. On TV, you know, he kills someone and he shows almost no remorse about it because the whole movie you're being built up to recognize that the, 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 it's, it's a scary kind of movie to watch because it's like, it makes you think like, put yourself in his shoes. Would you do any different? It's, Maybe. It's, you probably, I would hope that you would do different, yeah. but like, it's also that that's how... what makes it compelling is, is, 
the believability behind the actions. It, it, it's I could see it's difficult for him to feel guilt or remorse for actions like would that hurt other people like that when that's what almost every single person he encountered did to him. Right. So it's like if you are not feeling that for me, why am I supposed to feel that for you? Mm-hmm. Which is completely believable. Right. Soci- we live in a society. We live in a society. We live. It can be. It can be. Um, but tell us about. Uh, yeah, I know you wanted uh, to. Uh, Last of Us Two. Uh, yeah, I know no- almost nothing about it. I just um, know there's a lot of killing. Enlighten me. So, Daddy. Mean. You were you were going off. You know you could you can understand where Thanos is coming from. I I can. He's worried, but you know killing half of existing species is just accelerating the like it causes the problem to happen not in his mind though he doesn't believe that That, that's the point but that's that's it's very warped sense of reality he has right Right. you're not supposed to agree with his methods (laughs) but you're saying that you can understand him i i personally think that's a poor if you can i personally believe if you can say oh i understand where thanos is coming from you have a warped perception. If, Where I think okay. a better perspective can come from is Abby in Last of Us 2. Okay. So at the end of Last of Us 1, you play as Joel. He goes to take... Guess, spoiler warning spoiler maybe for, for yeah. both of these games. At the end of Last of Us 1, Ellie is being tested on or about to be tested on to find a cure for the virus that causes all the fucking zombies or the mm. oh yeah because she's immune i believe she's immune yeah, yeah. so they were going to use her dna to whatever so the whole point of the story in one and in two is an ethics discussion on top of a um discussion about right or wrong and in groups and out groups mm-hmm. at the end of one you change your mind as joel because you've grown so fond of ellie that you burst into the room that she's being tested on, or about to be tested on, kill the doctor who is about to test on her, you take Ellie and you escape, right? Is there a reason for that action? Why, why is that the action that the character takes? I don't actually know. So, because he, he, he changes his mind. He's like, I don't want her to be... Well, like a guinea pig or a something? A guinea pig, because she's going to die. Oh, like, okay. That's the the, the yeah. procedure will kill her. Then, okay. so fair. Because of that... That's why he did that. Even though his entire purpose throughout the entirety of the game was to bring her there to be tested on. So, you go through that whole thing for him to just retract that. He kills the doctor, picks her up, sprints out, whatever. Start of the second game, Joel gets killed by this girl, Abby. And you have no idea why. You later find out that she wanted revenge because he killed her father. Who was one of the doctors? Who I was think? the doctor? He was the head of the research department. And you, you're just like, I want to. The whole point of the first half of the game, as Ellie in the second mm. game you play as Ellie, is to get revenge on this Abby girl for killing Joel. But then, this was very controversial of the game to do. But the second half of the game you play as Abby. Oh. Huh. You play as Abby, from. Right, like at certain points, but kind of when you kill after she kills Joel and you follow her story and you see she's human as well. She was going for revenge just like how Ellie was going for revenge. You see that she helped all of these people 
you see that she was in trouble with all these people. She saved these people's lives. She was human as well. So you can understand why she would want to kill the person who directly murdered her father for quote-unquote no reason. So in the same way you were saying with Thanos that yes, you can you can sort of understand what, you know, his perspective that you vehemently disagree with it in a lot of aspects, most yeah. aspects. Um, I would say that jo- then in that case, without at least from what you've explained, mm. Joel's actions at the end of Last of Us 1, I can understand it. I vehemently disagree Absolutely. with it. Absolutely. I think that's an extremely stupid decision. Why? Did he because even try to get her was, to, them to stop? Yeah, to save one on person to the detriment of, I guess, the millions of people that may still be left and could have lived. And that's, a, that's an important discussion to be had, too. Now, from a scientific perspective, it was a fungal infection. It's impossible to make vaccines for fungal infections. So that's what they were trying to do, make a vaccine for this infection. That's a debate for a different discussion. This is, this is all about the ethics of it. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's not – I don't think it's a good thing to just um, funnel everything into a, a conversation of ethics because you have to realize people make stupid decisions when they're emotional, right? Absolutely. Joel killed the doctor because over the entire course of the first game, he was uh, – you know, at the first, he didn't – wanted nothing to do with Ellie, right? Yeah. They form a relationship over the course of the game and that by the end of it, he kills the doctor because they're going to kill her. Was it the right thing to do? No. That's no. up for debate. It's up for debate. Probably not. I would say it is. I would say I, no. I would say it was the emotional thing to do. Absolutely. So the um, reason I say it's up for debate is because you can always debate individualism versus utilitarianism. Because if at the, if at the end of the day, nothing really matters except ourself, like myself, why would I let someone I love die just because it's going to save the rest of the population? You know, um, so and that that yeah. is a very open and I'm not saying I think that way, mm-hmm. but I think if if every in most circumstances that if every human were to think like that and make decisions like that, we wouldn't be where we are today as a species it's as a whole. Possible. But if at the end it doesn't matter, well, that's a whole nihilistic. <laughs> like, yeah, they, we're gonna experience the heat death of the universe. What? What? Why is Apple even making a laptop? It's just gonna melt. Like, right. Yeah. Like, so, like, but that's that's that. How taking that, that's a moot point. That right. makes so everything I, you talk about just doesn't matter. So wa- then, there's no point in even talking about it. I was watching an interview uh, on the Joe Rogan podcast. He he was interviewing Robert Downey Jr. and he literally he actually said, and I think it's so funny we're talking about this right now. Who said, said Rob- Robert Downey Jr. says, um, "What's the old adage? Um, faster alone, farther together." And sometimes you just have to think about further because you have to keep pushing to the end zone. You know, you just have to get to the end zone. Hmm. And and I think that's that's an interesting quote to <laughs> there's that word again. <laughs> it's a good quote to, to pull up for the um that, that conversation about individualism versus uh collectivism. Um, Jamie, pull that up. What the fuck is Jamie? Uh, Jamie <laughs> pull that up. <laughs> Joe Rogan. Oh, I don't listen to Joe Rogan. Neither do I. Like, I it was like a it was like a thirteen minute clip oh, that popped up on yeah. YouTube. Sorry, I'm not I'm not a libertarian. <laughs> it was a good opportunity for us to have a word from our sponsor. <laughs> Cut me off.
You know, Justin, something you said before, um, since now we're back, you know. Welcome back. <laughs> Rooms. Um, you're, you're just, I, I feel as if you would agree with this statement. So, there's an economist, his name is John uh, Maynard, um, I can never say it right, Keynes, father, you know, Ken, uh, Keynes in economics. Keynes in economics, but um, he has a quote. Um, that's usually quoted out of context. Um, in the long run, we'll all be dead. So. Is that the whole quote? Well, no, 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 no. Like I said. <laughs> Is that of, the out of context that's part? That's the out of context part. Okay. But pretty much what he was referring to was the fact that, so economies, macro economies are self-correcting. He disagreed with that for the most part on a, on a, at least on a micro scale. But um, his pretty much his idea was that economists say in the long run, everything will normalize. His dispute was in the long run, we'll all be dead. So, you know, for pretty much what you said before, you know, okay, in the long yeah. run, the heat death of the universe will come. So I, I get where you're coming from. I was I, hmm. I just still believe hmm. There's this idea that everything will come to an equilibrium. You can see this in populations. You can see this in um, balanced as all things should be. Balanced as, as all Thanos things says. should be. Wow! <laughs> but in some way, shape, or form, things do come back to an equilibrium, and we do see it emerge in most instances that are not very, ex- at least in non-extreme instances. Um, now. It's a bold claim, Cotton. <laughs> so that, that's why I just I mm. I dislike the notion that you know Thanos had at least the right idea. Like overpopulation's a problem. It's not really a problem because at least at least on a macro scale, in my opinion, I, I don't agree. Um, but. But we can move on. But we can move on. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome yeah. back. <laughs> so. Welcome back. Does anybody have any characters or people or figures that talk that were compelling? <laughs> for you? Wait, do they have to talk? <laughs> I mean, I was thinking Momo. Not technically, <laughs> not. You can emote through, you know, grunts and body language, yeah, yeah. Like, like Kratos. Kratos. You want to talk about Kratos? I mean, Let's I like Kratos. Let's talk about the fucking robot from uh, Infinite Warfare. <laughs> no, fuck you. I thought you were going to say from the movie Robots with the... Uh... My life as a teenager. Robin <laughs> Williams! <laughs> what about... So you want to talk about Kratos. I do. What I... about Momo from Avatar? As a compelling character. Yeah. Remember the episode where he, he kept trying to bring, like, water or something to... Uh, to What was your name? Ah, uh, fuck. The Sokka and... Katara? Katara, because they were in the desert, like, dying of thirst. Oh, and she's like, yeah. I need water. And he kept bringing the other things. Like, he was oh. trying, <laughs> but he just couldn't understand. Yes, surprisingly, the animals in, in Avatar, I th- I would say in their own way, are are not just one-dimensional beings that they ride on or are companions to. They, are, they have personalities, which is great. And another being that has personality that is also not a human, technically. Well, half-human, Kratos. Kratos. Yes. He's, he's a half-god. Did you ever play God of War? I don't no. believe you did. No, I didn't. Fucking um, Xbox. 
Uh, if you want, you can buy my PS4 and play it. Can I buy it for cheaper than I can get it online? Ten bucks cheaper. You got a deal. Hey, son of a bitch, I'm in. That's called market economics. Perceived value is value. Hey. Um, but I, so I, I want to fucking play Spider-Man, man. <laughs> I came into this podcast. I came into God of War not having played any of the previous games. Same. And and I actually preferred that way. Man, I don't say. No, so I am glad I didn't never played any of the other God of Wars. They're a totally different kind They're of game. They're a totally different game. Yeah. So, so continue. I'm sorry to keep No, 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 no. You're good. You're good. I didn't do enough coke before. <laughs> <laughs> I got some Dr. Pepper if you want. <laughs> Off brand. Anyways, uh, we're not sponsored by Coca-Cola. Thank God. Or Dr. Pepper. We do not. We're not sponsored by Coke owns Dr. Pepper. <laughs> oh, wait. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, coke crazy. owns like most. So the world's crazy, man. Yeah. Um, anyways, God of War. Uh, so, yeah, I had never played the previous games, but what I did do... I had actually watched a compilation of pretty much all the sort of boss battles and cutscenes meshed together of all of the God of War games in, I think, um, chronological order, like release order, and including God of War 2018. Hmm. And then months later, or maybe even a year later, I went and played it. And I thought maybe, oh, because I had kind of seen everything play out and happen that I wouldn't enjoy it as much. I was wrong. I was completely wrong. I love that game. It is it is one of my favorite games. Of many games that are my favorite games, but it is one of my favorite games. And Kratos as a compelling character, he's his whole shtick throughout the games has been he was a like a, a general, you know, a, a a pretty not robust, but an intelligent general for his time in Sparta and he struck a deal to help out his comrades. Uh, you know, he struck a deal with with um, what is it? What was that god? God of the god, the previous god of the war. The previous god of war. I can't remember his name. Um, and basically, since then, the gods continuously fucked him, more or less. That they and got the gods in Greek mythology were not nice beings at all. They were malicious, power seething assholes yeah a lot of lot of not nice things about them and his whole thing was just getting revenge just killing them to get revenge on them to get back at them um and it wasn't too much more complex than that he had part of his reasons that he was so angry with, with the actions he needed to he uh ended up taking after doing the bidding of the god of war in the first game was ended up with his family dying. He killed his own family or had his own family killed because of his actions. I think he killed them. I don't know if it, I think it, yeah, I think it I was think he, he was the them. actual one who killed them and then their ashes were bound to his skin, which is why he has a white skin. And he seemed from what I know and from what I watched a little more on the shallow side. He didn't really have a developed, you know, sense of uh, personality other than just anger. And vengefulness. Yeah. And I think that God of War 2018 flushed him out a lot. And it didn't need to be that he had these long monologues or just lots of dialogue and talking. It just through his actions and the small comments he would make and, and the way he would interact with other characters. It was very <clears throat> much a learning process for someone um, who previously was so... Attuned. Just, yeah. Just 
hellbent and attuned on just destroying and causing destruction and rage and, and, and terror and suffering. Like, that's what he was. That's almost like what he designed himself to do in, in a way. Um, and he moved away from that. He utilizes, you can see it throughout the game that he utilizes those elements of himself for, for good, I guess, in a way, as a, or at least in defense to protect. He's not to preserve yeah. rather than to destroy. He's and not just get, destroying things because they get in his way or whatever. Uh, you know, I'll, for the most part. Yeah, for, for for the most part. You, I think <laughs> you can definitely see that towards the end with um, Baldur. Mm. Uh, he he steps away. Yeah, he, he does doesn't want to kill not him. Take the final blow. You can see that in the beginning. Also, spoilers. Spoilers. I guess. Yeah. I mean, the game's been out for almost four years. The, now. the sequel's coming out soon. But and it's releasing on PC in two days. Is it really? Yeah, they got some new updates, graphics, and stuff Ooh, like that. I'm gonna yeah. try it. It's releasing on Xbox. No, no. Oh, that's nice. Oh, fucking, <laughs> <laughs> fucking MacBook. Um, um, yeah, yeah. Can... Go figure. I, I fucking buy everything Microsoft except for fucking computers. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Uh, no, you're absolutely right. He chose to not just, even though this person was a threat, he had beat them, and I think he learned. Almost from his interactions with his son through the process of the game that that doesn't need to happen. You do, you do what you need to do to survive and that's it. And he had beaten him and he, and if he, Balder wasn't going to continue to kill him, that, or his mother, or, yeah, or, or his mother that he would leave him be. And unfortunately he had to make the decision to kill him because Balder was threatening his own mother who more or less was maybe not innocent, but didn't, it wasn't just for him to be trying to kill her, and Kratos wanted to prevent that. And so he killed a person that was a threat, but the, out of necessity. The cycle ends here. Yes, the cycle ends here with... That's a very big thing in the God of War games, is just... Um, the cycle of violence. What is it? Not parent... Uh, what? What's that like Latin word for parent? It's like something side, parent side. I can't remember what it's called. Oh, I don't know. Uh, whatever that is. But basically killing your parents... For power, and then that's like, then you have children, and the cycle continues. Oh, wow. Oh. oh. Patricide, maybe? I can't remember what it's called. I think, is it patricide? Patricide. Maybe, no. yeah. I think that's when you kill a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> Whatever that term is, <laughs> oh, God. he wanted to end that cycle of suffering. Unfortunately, he had to induce suffering to do that, but he, he took that on himself to do that. He was a, it was a much, it was such a learning process through the game for him and his son. Yeah. He didn't. He's not a parent. He doesn't know how to parent at all. Mm-hmm. He but, killed his first kid. Yeah. He, I mean, he, his first kid. Yeah. Oh yeah. His, yes. Yes. His his in from the first game. Yes. His game. wife and and daughter, daughter. I think. Yeah. He killed. Yeah. And and that um, you see how those things have affected him through his through his life. I think through that game too. Yeah. Um. That. He he understands that there are co- a lot of consequences to the actions you take. You may see this as just right now or, you know, getting back at someone or I need to take revenge. But that has larger consequences than you may think of. You may get that in short term. Yes, I got them back. But that snowballs into many other things that just end up suffering for everybody or making things just overall worse. Like he he did more... He has a more long-term thought process now, I think, too. He wants to live simpler. He doesn't want to... It's all about protectiveness, learning, and and learning from his past, I guess, a lot, which he tries to, you know, suppress. Right. Not a lot of that suppression, but even through the game, he has to face it eventually. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, a, that's a thing that a lot of people, even in re- real life, 
tend to not realize no matter how much you suppress your past without facing it you will not grow shit yeah man you know like the amount of shit that all of us have probably fucking done anyone listening us three i'm sure you don't know how many people i've killed you don't even want to know what my katie is you don't even know how many people you killed it's true <laughs> i don't pay attention to my katie i'm not but uh it's you cannot escape your past because that's a, a very relatable absolutely thing with almost everybody Absolutely. So on the topic of that, yeah, um, sure. I think this would be a good time to transition, um, if that's okay, unless you unless you no, had more. I you mean, that to was say. pretty much it. It's part of what what Kratos is. I think he he becomes a lot more relatable to people that are either parents or just people that have gone through a lot of hardships because of the actions of others, and then or you your know, own actions. Yeah, or a combination of actions of others and your own actions you took in response to that, and then having to le- face what you've done or what you've said. And learn from it and how you can be better. You so, <laughs> I've been saving this um, character for a while, for towards the end, because... Is it I, Luigi? No. <laughs> it's Waluigi. <laughs> um, this show is so, so very important to me. It is a show that has changed my philosophical outlook on life. I genuinely don't think I would be the same person I am today had I not seen the show. And the show is BoJack Horseman. Mm-hmm. I never watched it. I cannot recommend it enough. Um, and and a big part of that is because it came out during a time where I myself was going through a period of coming to terms with, you know, some not great things that I had done and I had enormous guilt about it and trying to process that guilt and move forward and trying to be a better person. Um, so relatability is a big um, part of what makes a character compelling. And I found myself relating to Bojack. And <laughs> as funny as it is to talk about a anthropomorph- anthropomorphic talking horse that is also a celebrity in a conversation about relatability is... I understand the, iron- uh, the, the, irony. the irony in that, but... Um, the juxtaposition. The, yeah, the juxtaposition. But there, are, the, the show is about um, a horse, <laughs> Bojack Horseman, who is a former television celebrity. He was on a, a, a sitcom, kind of like Full House, okay. you know, in the 90s. Um, so he's made it in life. In he's the 90s, the, I was in a <laughs> show. Um, Sorry. But he has a very, very, very troubled past. And that becomes more and more uncovered as the show goes on. It manifests itself into alcoholism and drug problems and mental health issues and all these different kinds of things that he is struggling with. Um, Maintaining relationships. Maintaining relationships is an extremely hard thing for him to do. Um, And at one point in the first season, he's assigned a ghostwriter to write a memoir about his life or an autobiography and at the towards the end of the first season um you know we're already kind of being introduced to the kind of person he really is as a side to like the persona he puts on and he's face to face with the ghostwriter in the middle of a crowded auditorium at like a panel and he's like diane 
I need you to tell me I'm a good person. I know that I could be selfish and narcissistic and self-destructing, but deep down I know that I'm a good person and I need you to tell me that I'm good. And she can't do it. She just, she's silent. And and the episode just ends. <laughs> and it's like, ah! <laughs> um, But it's not just a show that's like constantly gut punching you for the sake of gut punching you. There are a lot of good like moral lessons in it. Um, like later on, when those two same characters are interacting, he's like, I, I, I forgot what the context was, but he's like, I don't, I think I'm a bad person. And she's like, I don't think there are good people or bad people. I think all you are is just the things that you do, you know? And that was so like life altering for me because I, in that point in my life, I was really like beating down on myself and constantly just like, I couldn't like come to terms with the fact that I had mistreated other people and like, you know, it was past the point where like, like that relationship had like already shut down mm -hmm. and I couldn't like remedy that. So I just was kind of left in this point where I just had to like come to terms with it and move just on accept, and just yeah. not do it again. You know, just be a better person. Um, there's a scene a few seasons later where him and Todd are, you know, again, he does something really shitty and it culminates in this big argument and he he goes he's coming up with all these different excuses for why he did what he did and why it's not going to happen anymore and the other guy just explodes and he goes oh great here it comes you can't keep doing this you can't just keep doing shitty things and then feel bad about yourself like that makes it okay you need to be better and this show man oh my god it's just so good. It's you, so good. You had said in the beginning, like, oh, you know, I understand the irony of, like, feeling uh, related, re uh, feeling a sense of relatability to a, uh, f albeit fictional, a, you know, famous actor uh, and celebrity. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, but that shows you that nobody is, like, someone isn't just a celebrity. We're all people. You're just, you're just a person. Yeah, everybody's just a regular human being and you, I think you're not anything special that is the core of what makes a compelling character somebody that is human like superman like su <laughs> <laughs> how about a compelling character that's not even alive what do you mean not a lot like uncle so, ben <laughs> so no listening to brian discuss uh bojack horseman tv show it's a modern it's like a fam, uh, like a one of those feel-good shows called Million Little Things. I've recommended it to you guys before. Mm -hmm. Me and my fiance watch it. Um, episode one of the series starts with so it's a group of friends. They've been friends for like four or five years. It's like them, their wives, their kids. They all are extremely close. They're like one big happy family. First episode starts off with one of them killing themselves, wow. and another one of them about to kill himself. And the one character who kills himself, his name is John. He's huge, successful, at least on the surface, a successful real estate guru. He owns properties all across the country. He's pretty much king of the town. But he's also one of the most loved people. Like, people love him. And he has such a good heart. But as you go through season one, the whole season is them trying to figure out why he killed himself. And eventually they find out you know, the true story, but one of the things 
you you keep seeing flashbacks that these characters are having in their own moments, um, like because they always leaned on John, but now he's gone. They have no one. They, they don't have the same people lean on. They have to move forward as a group. One of the last things he said in a voicemail to one of his friends right before he jumped off the building of uh of his building was, "I'd rather have said this to you in person, but I just need you to do me a favor: love each other." Mm-hmm. And that was like his last request, in a sense. Wow. And it's heavy. That's a character that you see develop, even though he's not around. Mm. Essentially, like from a from a timeline standpoint, he's dead, but he's still developing. You're learning about him. You're learning about what he did, who he was, and in a narrative aspect, yeah. you learn. You you His are importance. able to after the fact observe a change in a mm-hmm. character yep. after they are gone. Yep. Like you, yeah, that's interesting. Huh. It's interesting. That yeah, is interesting. A, shit, it's very interesting. <laughs> no, it is. It's it thought provoking. I never I never thought of that type of. I guess development arc of a character who ha- who is no longer there, whether because they died for whatever reason or they're just not present, you know. But seeing the progression from the, I guess, the clues and information you find along the way through the story. That's huh. what I said. Mufasa. <laughs> 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 but he killed him. He killed the lion dude. What? Mufasa. Mufasa didn't kill anybody. Oh, wait. Mufasa <laughs> died. Oh, was Mufasa the, the king dude? Yes. Yes, Justin, he is. So who's the bad one? Scar. Scar. Simba. 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 No. Rafiki's the bad guy. <laughs> I only saw... What's the, the fucking bird's name? I only saw the Lion King maybe like three years ago. Zazu. Zazu is the bird. Zazu by John Oliver. That was not a bad casting choice. I no, it's not. When I think of Zazu, I think of John Oliver. Yeah, I can see it. I can see it. Well, that was that was a that was a that got dark. Yeah, that got I dark. It was last two. Well, listen, this is what happens when you're stuck in a fucking. We're getting deeper into the back rooms. Yeah, like I mean, we're only in the first basement. <laughs> the first basement. <laughs> We've been stuck here for how many months? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a while. I was, (laughs) I was on, I was going through our episodes the other day and our first one, we said, we're going to, this was back in September of last year. And we were like, we're going to stick to a consistent upload schedule. We're going to upload once a week. And we were like, (laughs) I mean, listen, here we are in January on episode eight. I mean, hey. I, I'm still happy with it. I'm, no, I'm, I'm not complaining. I, th- I think the biggest hurdle we have is just <clears throat> you. No. No, it's, it's, every, no, it's everybody. It's, it's, no, hard. it's hard to get everybody together. Absolutely. Well, that's okay. Then, do either of you have any other characters that you'd like to discuss or talk about? I have one last one that I think I'd like to mention. I, I got to think, so go ahead. Go okay. ahead. Um, Zuko from Avatar The Last Airbender. Zuko has the strongest redemption arc in any character mm-hmm. of any animated series I've ever seen. And it's also interesting that he, I, and I imagine this was designed to be like this, but he parallels, um, not parallels, but he, where Zuko has a redemption arc that someone like Aang 
is not like redemption arc is is such a common trope yeah though done very well here that that ang is more like a i guess um uh, growing up, what do they call it? Like a growing uh, up, a coming of age, yeah, coming, coming of, age. of age story. You know, well, he, so he's not regretting actions or trying to make up for what he was, but it's just advancing. But Zuko, on the other hand, over time, slowly changes. You could see like little changes in his actions through the episodes. It's not just like, okay, I'm bad. Get beat up. Realize I'm stupid. Okay, I'm good. It's like it's very incremental over the entire saga of the with three seasons of three books. Um, now, would, so the coming of age. Do you think if we're going to talk about Avatar: The Last Airbender, what about Legend of Korra? Because I know you didn't like Korra at first. I I actually completely hated uh, Korra as a character. Uh, for the for, for like the first half, first that first part of the I thought first you, season or I think the whole first season. I don't think it was it. the whole. First, it was like just towards the end that I that I started to kind of come around. But she was, and I guess this is by design of the show. She was just an asshole. She was rude and and like snarky and not know it all, but like um. So overly confident, whatever the word is Cocky. for that. Cocky, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I just there was very little redeeming factors about her that I could muster to understand. Eventually, I got there, and I don't think it's eventually I got there. I think it's that she slowly started to change as a character. Yeah. And then I eventually liked her. I I still like the original series better. I still like the original characters better, personally. Even Tenzin. Tenzin's real good, but Uncle Iroh is a st- step above still. <laughs> I think... <laughs> don't you dare say... Don't you dare say anything about Uncle Iroh. <laughs> Uncle Iroh is... Like, if he was my godfather... God bless like, Mako. <clears throat> Are you going to be my new dad? <laughs> That's not <laughs> Uncle Iroh. Justin, no. you remind me of Bolin. <laughs> Bolin? Yeah. Oh, from Legend of Korra. <laughs> you remind me of the cabbage guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, in Legend of Korra, he owns a... Multi-million dollar corporation. Does he? <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> the interesting thing, I think, also about Zuko is that despite, you know, him changing over time, I think even in the beginning, you know, he immediately comes off, okay, this is the antagonist mm-hmm. of the story currently right now. It, with just within a couple episodes, you can gather from direct dialogue and context of the story that he's not doing it to be necessarily malicious, but he's doing it because of his own so, issues with his family relations and trying right. to show that he's a worthy person, so, that he deserves to be, like, cared. accepted and liked and loved and all that, you know? I think a big part of his transition is the whole, you know, first two seasons of the show, he's seeking um, he's seeking approval yeah. from his it's father. It's not like, oh, I right? want power and then and realize that that's bad. It's not like, oh, my God, I have to kill the Avatar. I have to kill the Avatar. Just because he wants to kill the Avatar... He wants approval from his father. He wants his ticket back into his home. his family's right, right into home. And as the show goes on, and he becomes more and more desperate, he begins to realize that he's not getting that approval. It it and as and much as he come. wants it, he realizes that it was never going to happen. And it doesn't come. And even with that, I don't think the approval, like thinking yourself worthy, comes from necessarily other people you kind of partially 
at least find that within yourself and through your own actions. Do you think what you're doing is good? Do you think what you're doing is right? Is it helping other people? And, you know, you can seek validation from other people, but I think it, it a lot of it comes from within yourself. And I think that's something that he realizes, too, that is like, okay, I I can help these people. I don't. I feel like these actions aren't the right thing to do. This doesn't feel like, you know, morally correct. Right. I, I think that, yeah, I won't continue to just stutter, but yeah, that, no, that's no. essentially. I, I think it's extremely important to keep your mind open when it comes to exploring a new character right no <clears throat> yeah right just no no um you're because nit- you're nitpicking and biased. you are nitpicking and biased i win bye bye <laughs> um fuck what the hell was i gonna say <laughs> um no be- because a lot of these characters while you may not like them initially you know say cora mm-hmm. or not, I'm not, not I almost I stopped point watching you. the show. You didn't I like almost Cora. stopped watching the show. A lot of show. people don't like MCU Peter Parker. I love Peter Parker. I think he's I love the best him. iteration. He's I the, think he's most the best iteration. I love him. iteration. But I very much appreciate what they do with him in the newest movie. And retroactively, I think it makes the previous movies even better huh? as a result. Interesting. Because okay. you can stand back and look at the, the trilogy as a whole, and including. Uh, Civil War and Endgame and all that stuff. And you can appreciate his journey with Tony Stark more and how it molds him into what he is. So Homecoming, and I think that was the fear that people had, is that, like, this isn't a Spider-Man story. He's like Iron Man Jr. He's like his ward. Why does he have to be so attached to the hip of Iron Man? But what they do with these is they create a unique twist on the Peter Parker story using Iron Man as a way to induct him into this kind of superhero lifestyle. And then as the movies progress, you kind of see him come into his own (laughs) superhero. And it's not until you watch No Way Home that really all of it clicks. And you really appreciate the journey of all of these movies that much more. Um, Really phenomenal movie. I I highly suggest you guys watch it. Um, Definitely, that's what I'll do right now after this podcast do it i might actually do it. i might just walk into a movie theater and buy a ticket and watch it <laughs> still in. hell you just gotta make sure you wear your mask yeah it's true yeah double it up triple it up triple just like those up. condoms just put like a fishbowl is on that your head. do you do you layer your condoms yeah just like a cake just in case no, you put not. one condom on and then you put lube and another condom lube. <laughs> <laughs> and then you put the frost have you ever seen the vine of the fucking guy with the... He's riding a bike with his hood on and he put a, a, a pot lid yeah. in the hoodie and he goes, I don't want anybody else when I think about you, I touch myself. It's my favorite video. And on that bombshell, thank on you everyone bombshell. for joining. This was, this was the Backrooms Podcast. We will see you in, in the next room. In the next room. 